Michael Waits Media, telling Asia's stories. The Asia Tech Podcast is brought to you by IR, leaders in performance and experience management. People expect to collaborate, communicate, and connect seamlessly from wherever they are, especially in a hybrid work environment. But delivering that seamless, simplified experience can be more complex than you realize. That's where IR can help. IR's performance and experience management solutions are designed to help simplify the complexity of the hybrid workplace by streamlining the management of your multi-vendor, multi-platform communications ecosystems. Download IR's ultimate guide to future-proofing your hybrid workplace and find the right strategies to help you find and fix problems fast, deliver great experiences, and ensure the lines of communication are always open. Head to ir.com slash asiatech for your free guide and find out how IR Collaborate can help you cut resolution time in half, reduce operational costs, and improve user satisfaction by as much as 60%. That's ir.com slash asiatech. Hey, Ho Yin, how are you doing? Thank you so much, by the way, for coming to the Asia Tech Podcast today. I really appreciate it. How's everything going? Pretty good, Michael. I'm super excited. I've been looking forward to this podcast for some time. So thanks for um, having me on. It's my pleasure. I kind of want to go through this again. Tell me again where you're based right now. I'm based in Hong Kong right now. Yeah, and most people can't see this, but I am looking out the window over your right shoulder and all I see is trees. And normally when I think about Hong Kong, I don't think about trees. Where are you exactly? Yeah, it is It is really, it is a bit of a unique area. So I live in uh, Chim Sa Choi in Kowloon and I overlook like the Kowloon Cricket Club, the KCC. And it just has like a bunch of forest area, which is which is really relatively rare in, um, in, in Hong Kong to overlook such a such a wide area of, of force, but it's, yeah, it's great. Great for the eyes. It really is. And I think I told you this offline, but I want to tell you online as well. When I was at Goldman Sachs, I was expatriated to Hong Kong for a, for a few months and I actually lived at Gateway. So I lived in Simshatsu, which I can, still cannot pronounce, but you know what I mean? And I actually loved living over there to be fair, right? Cause most people live like in central or in the mid levels yeah. or something, right? They take the escalator down mm -hmm. to work and stuff like that. But I loved riding the ferry every day back when there was still a harbor, I guess. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you're, you're right. Like most people, yeah, most ex expats do live on, on the island side. So it's, you're like one of those rare people that lived on the dark side. I loved it though, because it was like real Hong Kong, right? If you look at the restaurants that I went to at night for dinner, there were no other expats there. And that was made a great experience. Right. Where really, Yeah, definitely. So again, if I'd lived in Central or if I'd lived in like the mid-levels, I would just go up to... God, what's it called? Hollywood Road and all those other places where people went and go to a French yeah, restaurant or LK, a Thai yeah. restaurant. Yeah. Soho. Soho yeah, and yeah. all that kind of stuff, right? But I love being on the other side, to be fair. And that commute every morning on the ferry, just like the waves was just so awesome for me. That sounds awesome. I love that it. That sounds actually really awesome. Yeah, I mean it. I loved <laughs> it. And the great thing was, and people wouldn't believe me, is that I had cell connectivity on the ferry. So I could actually make phone calls like back to Tokyo when I'm on the ferry. Nobody believes. Wow. Yeah, it was super. Really wow. super. Yeah, they're like, where are you? I'm like, I'm in the harbor. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. That's awesome. Yeah, before we get into sort of the main part of this conversation, I'd love to get a little bit of your background and less of mine. <laughs> sure. 
Well, are you originally from Hong Kong? Like when I first contacted you, I kind of expected you to be in California for some reason. But are you from Hong Kong yeah. originally? I was born um, in Illinois. Oh, that's so great. Go ahead. Yeah. So my parents were working at this university, Illinois State University. It's like in the middle of Illinois, a small town of like, I don't know, 50,000, you know, less than 50,000 people. Well, my, my dad was a professor in biology. So I, I, I grew up there. And then when I was nine years old, I moved back to Hong Kong. Wow. Do you remember, do you have memories of living there? Like, what was it like growing up in the Midwest? I have no idea because... Like my sister lives in Ohio, but I literally grew up in Boston, Connecticut, and Pennsylvania. I mean, it's it felt like a suburb. It just felt like one massive suburb. <laughs> the whole you know, thing. like it's just one massive strip mall after strip mall after strip mall. You know, there's like Kroger and like Schnucks, like those types of Midwestern um, market, you know, grocery stores or um, you yeah. know, supermarkets or whatever. To me, it was like what I felt. It seemed like sort of like the the atypical sort of place where you would imagine the United States, the majority of the United States to be like, you know, really? where it's, they got a big house and then you're, it's like a small town. Yeah. And like when I look back at it, it felt very American, like like that sort of typical American dream, I guess, in some sense. Yeah. I mean, I think it was great. It was a small town. I didn't know that it was really that small until I moved, <laughs> moved to Hong Kong. Do you remember that move? Back? I thought it was a great experience. Yeah, I mean, it was it was one of pivotal moments in my life because I had to leave all my friends, and then when I moved back, I had to go to a new school, new totally new culture. Like it's like basically moving to a different country, and like the school systems were different. Yeah. You know, my English was my English was okay, my English was alright, but my math was terrible compared to the local, those the schools that I went to, <laughs> and like it was definitely very hard to like i remember um i think i was in second or third grade i i, I can't remember but for some reason i didn't know I, we were just doing addition and subtraction Fair when enough. i moved back to hong kong they were like you know you need to learn multiplication like in like a week right or like in a few days or something yeah. like that and i i was like struggling so hard with with that and my mom also forced me to learn chinese on the weekend which at that time was excruciating you know yeah reading and writing and i'm glad i did it but it was just so hard to learn at the age of 10 people typically start learning that at like you know two, two or th yeah, you know three or birth, four. yeah they start the, birth, the process yeah. yeah they start the process and so like that that was definitely a quite pivotal sort of experience for me yeah you know? so this is an interesting age to move when i was nine years old i moved from massachusetts to new jersey i had to start school like at a brand new oh, school okay. yeah it was really hard and i think the hardest part for me you know, different than you, but like New Jersey is a very different place than Massachusetts. But the hardest part for me was that those kids had spent all summer playing with each other. You know, so they came into mm. school with memories and connections with each other that was very difficult for a nine-year-old to break through because they were already connected, right. right? Right. Yeah, and I think what it yeah, taught yeah. me—I think what it taught me back then was that like this human connectivity and the ability to adapt was really important. And I think that's why I love doing what I do now because I help other people connect with other people. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, no, it does. It does. I mean, I had those similar challenges too. When, you know, anytime when you go to a new school and you have a new set of friends or a new set of people that you need to interact with, you have to do a lot of catching up. Yeah. And you can only do that through experiences over time. Completely agreed. And I had a different accent, right? Because I was coming from Boston. So I really spoke like a Bostonian, like dropped R's, oh, no all that way. kind of stuff. Yeah. So it was so wow. obvious I wasn't from there.
Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Interesting. But it's weird now, right? Because we have all this technology that then ends up connecting people. I didn't expect to get here like this, but I, I want to talk about that in a, in a bit too. But I want to understand your perspective because you've built a bunch of different companies, right? And I don't think you can remove your personal experiences from the companies that you're trying to build. But I also want to understand this idea of like, I think entrepreneurship is more like a search and discovery effort and less of an epiphany, if you know what I mean. Like, I don't think somebody wakes up one day mm. and says, I'm going to start a ride hailing company. I think they have to like discover that they want to be in business for themselves, but figure out how. Yeah, yeah. Is, that, is that fair? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's definitely my, my experience. You can start off with something, yeah. but you know, my experience is typically whatever you start off with may not necessarily be the thing that you end up with. And so there is a lot of the whole, I believe the whole part of entrepreneurship is discovery. And I think business is the process of discovering what resonates with the customer and what does not. Yeah. So it's just a, a massive effort of trawling and erroring, at least from a young startup point of view, I think that iteration cycle is extremely, extremely fast. Large companies, not so much. They don't iterate so much. They're not like trialing and erroring so much. But for, for me, when I was like doing things at the scale that I was doing, which is not like these super Fortune 500 or anything, it was like that very much so. Here's what I want to know too, though. Because you started off working at a bank like I did, but you didn't do it for yeah. that long. No, it's really funny for me, right? Yeah. I always want to know, and you said your dad was a professor. So... Yeah. I always like to figure out if someone comes from an entrepreneurial family, so they just say, never mind, I'm never going to work at a big company. But you actually graduated from school, went to work for like a big business and then said, yeah, yeah, basically probably I can't do this anymore. I got to work for myself. What was that? What was the reason for that? Yeah, yeah. So actually, so my grandfather was in business and the rest of my family members, like my mom's side, they do business one way or the other. My dad's side is more or less other. They, they don't. And so my dad actually convinced, you know, I got, I was very influenced by him and he's like, oh, you know, uh, he was a professor of biology. So I, I actually pursued a degree in bioengineering and, and I had a choice between bioengineering or business at that time. And right. I decided bioengineering because I thought, well, if bioengineering doesn't work out, then I'll just go into business. Like I thought that transition is easier than the other way around. And that's exactly what happened. I did bioengineering. I, I got a job. I was doing stem cell research. And then it just, it didn't click for me. Like yeah. in order to be successful in that field, you need to get a PhD. And honestly, that just wasn't what I was interested in. Like I was done with school. Like I just didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to do any more school anymore. And then when I got the job and I was doing stem cell research, which by the way, was really awesome. It was really, really cool. But it takes like five to 10 years to get FDA approval. And like every day I was like thinking, how can I get this what would ha how would I market this product? Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, how would I get it? How to actually get impact to people? And then that's when I realized I was like, wait, I'm thinking about more about the business side than really about the 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 R and D or the the the, the actual side of it. Yeah. Um, research. Yeah, yeah. The science. And then that was the point where like I realized, okay, I, I'm gonna leave. I'm not gonna do this. And then I got an opportunity to work in a bank to kind of just I, I just didn't know where to start to right. be honest. Yeah, yeah. And and so I found an opportunity. Worked at the bank. And just started, you know, learning from scratch. Like I took accounting classes. I took like that type of stuff to like understand, you know, finance and financial an analysis. And 
so I, and I started from very simple. Like it was just, I was just doing um, budgeting, like right. budgeting and financial analysis on a monthly basis for the bank. Yep. So it wasn't any, it was, I was working for the finance department. It wasn't anything cra- too crazy, really. It's pretty, you know, more like just normal stuff. And then that's kind of like where I started growing in terms of getting the business acumen and understanding how businesses work and stuff like that. When you stopped doing the stem cell research, was what was your dad's reaction? I think he was a little disappointed, but at the end of the day, I think he understood, you know, at the end of the day, like I gave it a shot. So it wasn't like I didn't. Right. So if that wasn't something that I was interested in, he, he, he definitely was more like, yeah, do something that you are interested in. And so I think in general, it was positive. Yeah. Yeah. So what made you then branch out and just start your own companies? Yeah. So when I started uh, working in the bank and I started like understanding how businesses work and I started reading a lot about other famous entrepreneurs. And that was when I started feeling like I wanted to do that someday. But my challenge was I didn't know what. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know what, what was the idea. I didn't know how to pick ideas. I didn't know how to choose what to do. And it wasn't until probably like I first went in in 2000 and I want to say 2006, 2006, 2007, I started working at the bank. And then it wasn't until like maybe like 2012. So it's like another six, seven years after working, doing various jobs, you know, as, as such. That's when like I started to have a, enough knowledge where I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to try something on my own. And, and I told my friends about it. And then my friends and I then started a company and that was when, that was when it started. And it was, it was, I was a bit lucky because my friend already kind of already started a business before. And so we kind of just did it together with his like help and knowledge. Do you feel like there's a, and this is a weird statement, but do you feel like there's a friend bifurcation that occurs when you stop working at like an established company jump into the world of entrepreneurs. Do you know what I mean? Because oh, yeah. yeah, you know what I mean though? Like, like I worked at Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs and all we talked about when we were there was that business. And I feel like when I stopped doing that and moved into the entrepreneurial world, the conversations are so much broader, I guess, but also more just like, okay, is this an opportunity? Is that an opportunity? Like every conversation is around what's going to work, what's yeah. not going to work. It's just so 100%. different, no? hundred percent, hundred percent. Not only that, but it's like, they will complain about their jobs yeah. to a certain extent. Yeah. And I, I can't say anything. No. Like I can't, I don't, I don't say anything. Like, it's just like, we're already at a different playing field in terms of what it is. It's, it's not even worth me saying anything. I can't share my perspective. Yeah. Cause isn't your and thought so always just like, like, isn't your thought always just like, we'll just leave and just start your own thing. If like, if you know better yeah, than what they're doing, exactly. why are you still doing that? Exactly. Exactly. And I, and you're right. You're totally right. I would say that. And, and so what I, what I realized was that the mindsets were just different, but, but what's interesting is when I did leave earlier, there weren't so many people that were like thinking that, but sure. over time I had more friends that did eventually come out and did eventually do their own thing. So I also think it's a maturity thing as well. And like different people mature at different times, but then there, of course there's people that just don't leave at all. Yeah. Like they just keep on working at a job and all that kind of stuff. And so like, I think, there, there is definitely a huge bifurcation and, and, and I try to tread that bifurcation as carefully as possible. Like it's try tricky. not to, yeah, I don't, I don't want to reveal. It's almost as if I, the less I reveal, the better. Yeah. In a way you almost can't talk about how, like it's so difficult to build a company from scratch in a way that it's difficult to wake up at five o'clock in the morning, take a shower, shave, put on a suit and go to work at a bank. I've done both, right? They're both hard. Right. But the right. difficulties are really different, right? 
And then in one, you yeah. have real agency. You wake up and you go like, okay, today I have to do these things. And if I don't do them, it's on me. Right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a totally different mindset. And, yeah. and then, and it's almost like you don't want to, um, and I think it's, and I think it's great to, and, and that's why talking to other entrepreneurs is really great because then you can, it's almost like the connections even closer almost to a certain extent. Yeah. And I would argue that it's closer than a person who works at one company talks to another person who works at another company. It's like, you know, oh, you have your job, my job is fine. But as an entrepreneur, like, yeah, the struggle is real and everybody can always like discuss about the struggle. You know, it's almost like a hobby. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I play the guitar and you play the guitar right. and we both, and we both play in a rock band and we can always say, oh yeah, yeah. My lead singer is this and this and that. Your lead singer. Oh yeah. Yeah. My drum guy is like this. Oh yeah. I totally understand what you're saying. Like, it's like, kind of like, yeah. It's like, how do I get yeah. that chord progression? I just can't get it kind of thing. It's, it's it, yeah. It's kind of like that, but jobs are like, it's almost like an assumption kind of yeah, assumed. Like, my boss is a jerk. What do I do? How do you get from the starting the first company to Remo? Yeah, I mean, it's it's so funny because like I feel like for me this journey I could I could like have a thread between all every single one because one of it? them always leads to the other. Tell me. So I, the first one I started was it was a car phone mount, a magnetic car phone mount. So um, we sourced it from an Asian country, and it was literally like a mount that you put in your car, or you put a magnet in the in the case in the case of your phone case like a, actually it's a piece of metal and then it would just stick to the car phone mount. The car phone mount is like a little circle pad and a little like mount and you just put it in your car. That car phone mount got, became top 10 car phone mount for like three years and on Amazon. We sold it on Amazon. That was like my first foray and it was, it was successful. Like we made money. Did we make a lot of money? Like it wasn't like, you know, crazy amounts, but it was, it was the first job or first kind of opportunity outside of my job that I, I was, I was making, you know, cash outside of it. And that was, that was awesome. It's addicting though, in a way, isn't it? Right. Oh yeah. Like the first moment where you see the money flow in, it's like, it's a really amazing feeling. It's weird. It's, it's a really, like, really oh, amazing that worked. Feeling. Now what do I do? Yeah. Yeah. And then your mind just starts, just starts thinking more about it and, and it gets, it's, like, it's a great excitement. It's a great yeah. feeling of excitement. Yeah, keep going. Yeah. So what was next then? So after that, like I, um, so I, I tried to do this project where um, I was trying to get more customers and I try to like grow an Instagram, the Instagram account for that Carphone Mount company. Right. I figured out how to do that. And so I grew the followers of that Carphone Mount company for like, I think I grew it from zero to like 10,000 followers within maybe like a week or two, but I failed to drive sales from, from that Instagram account. And this was like back in like, Oh my gosh, 2012, 2013. I mean, this yeah. is like a while back when yeah. like, yeah, I can't believe like Instagram is more than it's like more than 10 years old. And at the end, it didn't work. And so and I started just sharing it with people, talking to people about it. People were like, oh, oh, you, you didn't get any business. But what happens if I want you to do that for my fashion business? Right. And I said, oh, okay. But I don't, it might not give you any business though. It's like, oh no, I don't care. They just want I just followers. Want followers. Yeah. And I was like, okay. So I started doing that. And then after that, I started putting some ads up on Google and, and the money just started flowing. Like people just were like signing up for the service. It was, you know, and I ended up growing that business to like 25 people. It was like 60,000, you know, MRR a month. You know, I was like super psyched about it because it, I grew something from, 
from nothing, but it was a bit, it was, it was a lot of luck too. It was some luck involved as well. Like I had mm-hmm. to talk to the right people. I had a, like had a hustle. Like, there's a lot of luck involved. And then after that, like my whole team was remote at that, that time. I tried to keep costs as low as possible, made it as lean as possible. So I hired people from the Philippines, from Vietnam to do a lot of the work. And so then my team was, rem- at that time, I just called it outsourcing. Yeah. But then I learned about remote working right. and I went to these like remote working digital nomad events. Right. And then they were like, okay, so this, this is how you, this is how you run a, run a company and this way and the style. And I was like, oh, okay. I didn't know there was like an official I didn't know like, that name was a for thing. this. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know it was a thing. And this was like, what, 20 17 2016 something like that so remote working was just this fringe thing it was just a bunch of random people just going to bali and like you know (laughs) having a conference about digital nomads and all that kind of stuff and then through that i i I applied a lot of what i learned there through my company and then i realized that there's a lot of a lot of things about the remote working workflow and process that wasn't a really great experience and it, it really centered around how do I connect with my fellow teammates? Really connect, not yeah. just like chat. Like I meant like, how do I replicate the feeling that we were working together in the same office? Yeah, so one of the things I've been thinking about for a long time, right? And let's go back to my experience at Goldman Sachs is periodically I would just get up from my desk, right? To stretch my legs, but walk around literally to people I didn't know and just go, hey, what are you working on today? What do you think the market's going to do today? How does that thing work? How can I use that? And just literally chit-chatting and not really, yeah. you know, not BSing about the football game from the previous night or whatever, but really just talking about business. And once you do that, then the group in which you're working is now connected, at least for me, to the other group. And then I could bring other people into those conversations. And it just yeah, seemed yeah, so much so cool. But once I started not working at a big company, one of the biggest problems for me was, how do I replicate that walking around thing and these sort of serendipitous events that help me yeah. create better connectivity, but also help me learn stuff? You know what I mean? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So, so like we we at that time we called it hallway conversations, and and it was like very difficult. So like I was actually trying to replicate that. I was trying to replicate that, and that's where Remo started to come from. Remo was a map. It was like a two D map. You look down. It was like, you know, like an architecture map or something like that, you could say. There's a bunch of seats, rooms, and you could double click into each room and you were, your little avatar, which was like a little circle, would go into that room. And in that room, if there's three other people, the three other people's video would just show up on your screen. And if you moved away from that room to another room then and there's other people there, then those people's videos would show up on that screen. And so I, I tried to recreate that hallway conversation and that's where Remo, Remo's kind of initial vision and initial initial idea kind of came from. But were you sitting around thinking, like, I need to recreate another company? Or were you just having this issue with this remote experience is not as optimal as I think it should be kind of thing? And then you thought, how can I use technology to be able to fix that? Th-? You know what I mean? Because you already had a company that was doing yeah. $60,000 of MRR. That's a real business. Yeah. So at that time, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to do something else. Like, I was kind of... Uh, um, I wouldn't say sick of it, but just wanted to go somewhere bigger. Like I think 60 KMR was probably the max that it was going to go. Like I didn't think it was going to, I was going to go any bigger than that. And so I was, I started to like, kind of was searching for something else that was bigger and solve a much more, you know, bigger problem essentially. Right. And, th- and that's when I, when I started to do that. So I actually ran the the Instagram, you know, 
that that company in parallel and use the the funds for that to then basically experiment and test and try to find something else. So we it was actually like we went through like I remember brainstorming with my team. Like we literally sat down and just brainstormed, just trying to figure out what to do. It was and it was went from anything from like crypto sentiment analysis <laughs> to like like some financial payment buy, buy now pay later idea to something that looked like Slack. Like it was just like a whole bunch of random different different ideas. Yeah. Isn't this one of the cool things about being an entrepreneur? And I kind of want to go back to my experience and even yours when you're working at a bank. And that is once you build something that succeeds and you can define success any way you want, right? But $60,000 MRR is not failing for sure, right? This is a success story. Mm -hmm. But once you figure out how to make money or build businesses or attack problems that you see, doesn't then everything look like a market gap to you at some level? And you're just trying to figure out which market gap to fill. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. you're like, well, there's yeah, a yeah, crypto yeah. thing. There's 100%. this thing that, oh, wait a second, this thing looks huge. And I know how to do things. Let's do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like everything. And, and I think going back to your point about discovery, right? Yeah. It's that that's literally what we did. Like we were trying to look at each problem space and identify you know, okay, so what are the competitors like? What's the overall trend of that market? You know, how big really is that market? Are we going small business or medium? Like, you know, what what is it? And that that piece of is is interesting because you make all these assumptions. You right. have to make assumptions. Yeah. You have to make guesses. Right. And some of those guesses are true and some of those guesses are not. Right. And and it's like you need to kind of pivot and 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 I think like there's this one, there's this one article i was looking at reading tim ferris's book like tools of time i think it was just one phrase or one quote in there there's it was like everyone thinks that tim cook is like this amazing crazy individual and tim cook actually replied to the, the individual and said you know when you actually think about and really look at me and some of these other guys you realize that we're just every other guy yeah we're just every other person who is testing trying things trying to figure out what resonates and failing and i believe that and i really resonate with that like, I was like, wow, like, that's exactly kind of like what I did at a much smaller scale. But essentially, that's kind of what, what we went through. Yeah, but again, it's this comfort level with, am I okay to fail? But it all starts with trying, right? Like, right. even yeah. you said, like, I didn't yeah. even know where to start when I was at the bank or when I was doing the stem cell research. Like, I know I wanted to do something on my own, but I wasn't really sure how to try. But the reality is, and it always reminds me of this, and I, literally, I'll never forget about this experience. I went to Hawaii on vacation when I was like 20 two or 23 years old. And I went with like a bunch of crazy people and they were like, okay, let's jump off this cliff. I'm not kidding, into the ocean. And who knows, <laughs> that cliff could have been 10 meters high, it could have been four meters high, but it seemed high. Yeah. And everybody just started jumping and you're standing up there going, I kinda know I wanna jump, but it seems really high. But once you yeah. do it, yeah. once, you're like, yeah, okay, first yeah. of all, it felt amazing. Second of all, nobody died. And third of all, I want to do that again. And I think that entrepreneurship yeah, is yeah. like this. No? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. The first jump is so scary. Like it's, because that's what I, I experienced that too. Like it was really difficult for me to go part-time doing something to yeah. full-time. And it's it. all psychological. Yeah. It's all psychological. There's no rationale. Even the most, I've spoken to people about this. Even the most rational people don't, they don't, it's really, it's, it's, it's about that. Like, and the funny thing is after you make the jump, you always said, oh my gosh, I should have made that jump way earlier. Yeah. Like, well, I it just took done me it, like, 20 years. It took you five. So it's just so interesting that everybody does that. But the other thing too is, and I think Tim Cook is a really good example of this. 
is that once you hit a few singles, right? So this is an American baseball analogy, right? But once you hit a few singles, you're like, okay, I can see the ball better now. I'm going to swing a little yeah, bit harder. Yeah, 100%. You know what I mean? And then 100%, you're like, 100%. okay, I built this thing, but I know how to build it. So let's try to build something huge. Yeah, yeah. I feel 100%. like that's what Remo is, no? Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, I, I chose a, a trend. Like I said, okay, I think remote working is a trend. I looked at all the stats and everything. It was like, okay, this is going to be a trend. And, and I made a bet on that trend. Yeah. I, I did not make a bet on, the, on COVID though. <laughs> but I did a bet <laughs> on, on, on the trend of remote working. And that was something that like was luck, like def- obviously lucky, but being at the right place at the right time and developing something where I felt passionate about and I knew that it kind of solved this sort of greater purpose that I had. One of the biggest things of how Remo came about was I was able to tie myself to a purpose, to a really solid mission. Why does that and matter? That allowed me, oh yeah, it matters so much because so I'll share with you like why, what, what I had struggles with. Oh, a lot yeah. of times when you come up with ideas, you're sometimes really married to the idea. Yeah. Very married to it. Like, it's like, oh, this is my idea is going to work. And you go through this like, Roller coaster, and everyone goes through this. This roller coaster entrepreneurship. Oh, it's a great idea one day, and the next day it's a bad idea. The next day is, oh yeah, it's a great idea, and it's a shit idea. Oh, it works or it doesn't work. Oh my god, it's like, it's just like this this excruciating feeling. And I I figured out for me personally, I figured out a way how to hack it, how to avoid that. And the way how to avoid that is when I was trying to figure out this next company, I said I need to figure out what the purpose and what the vision of it is, and. I looked back at my current fully remote team and I said, okay, my mission is to create authentic conversations that develop meaningful relationships. And I purposely made it more general, more general. Yeah, it's actually, this is really interesting though, right? And instead of saying, I want to build a specific technology that does this specific thing, it's bigger, it's a little bit higher level than that. It's a bit more higher level, yeah. And so yeah. my initial idea was virtual office. I wanted to help people virtual office connect. But when I actually started selling it, and by the way, like, okay, I, I don't know if I have time, time to share the story. I'll Plenty share it really quickly. So I, I, interviewed, I interviewed all of these people that were running fully remote companies and asked them, what is your biggest problem? And yeah. what, what did you, like, what, how can I help you? And they all said building connection with their teammates. They all said that. And I showed them the product, like a prototype of it. And they said, yeah, I'll, I'll use it. I built it. And then showed it to them again. No one bought it. <laughs> Very few people bought it. Right. So I was just like, that's like the classic fallacy, right? Validate before you build, right? And, and I totally, you know, fell, fell for that. Like people are really, really bad at telling you the truth and telling you what they would actually do until right. they actually have the opportunity to do it. And so what happened was because I had that mission, I had the opportunity, and here's the pivot story for Remo. I had the opportunity to work with this virtual event called the Remote Work Summit. So I was trying to promote the virtual office to this Remote Work Summit, which is this online virtual event across three days, teaching people how to lead virtual teams, create virtual teams, all that kind of stuff. So I'm like perfect audience that's just right on target. So the problem is, is that my product isn't built for like a conference for an event, it's built for an office. But in conversations internally, we always thought thought about, oh, this would be so cool for, you know, if we created like a virtual conference. 
So then I was like, okay, let's take a swing at this. Let's take a bet. And one of the things that I, I really love doing is doing one thing that has multiple like five birds with one stone. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. And so this was one of those things. I basically spent one month to modify the product so that it could host a conference, testing out the use case, but also trying to grow the remote virtual office at the same time. So right. I was able to do two things yeah. at the same time. Yeah, it's so hard to do. What kind of mindset though do you need to have where, again, you talk to every guy and gal that's running a remote company, you get all their feedback, they tell you that the biggest thing they want is X, you go out and you build it, you're super excited about it because you know you have customers coming. If I build this thing, they're definitely gonna buy it. They already told me. You work with your tech team, because I'm presuming you have a tech team, right? And right, you fire them yeah. up, they build this product as fast as possible, they get it out there, you go to sell it, and everyone's just like, no, thank you. What's it like when you go back to them and say, now I really have it figured out. And you go back and you try to fire them up again. They're like, dude, we've been through this. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you know, I was doing that for like a few months and, um, and like it, it was definitely not uh, a great feeling, obviously. Yeah. It was definitely very defeating, but because the mission and I told them what the mission was at the beginning, it was very easy to then say, Hey, let's try this conference thing. Right. You know what I mean? Like, let's make these educate not educated guesses. They're like, just make these like calculated risks. That's the word. Let's make these calculate. Take these calculated risks where I could do two things at once. Like, for example, if it was like a real estate conference, like I probably would have never would have done it. Like, right. I would have never would have modified conference for like a real estate. Like, I'll be like, uh, it's got nothing. Like th that. That seems to be a stretch. But I was very lucky enough to do it for remote work and that made a lot of sense. And so the, the mission allowed me and my team to then think broader and not just be married to the concept of virtual office. For me in that part of my journey was extremely, extremely important because it made me super open to trialing and erroring and finding what resonated the most. And it, it turns out conference is what resonated the most. I'll, I'll finish off the story really quickly. So it was a three-day conference. We had 10,000 people go through the whole thing. Not a single person bought the virtual office product. No one bought it. Every single person came up to me and said, oh my God, Remo is so great. And I was like, okay, great. You're going to buy the virtual office? It's like, no, I want to host a conference. Can I host a conference? I had such a great time. I was meeting people and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, well, you know, we, it's not a product. I mean, we're not selling this yet. But, you know, let me talk to, back to my team and see what we can do. And that's what I meant by resonating. It's like, it was just literally night and day. Like on one hand, people were just like, yo, I don't give a crap about this. Right. And on the other hand, people were like expressing joy and this real feeling of, wow, I had a great time connecting with someone else. Yeah. And that was the first time that I felt that feeling online. I thought that was like, no, there's no way you could do that online. But I actually felt that at a massive scale. And that's when I was like, okay, there's something here. And it's funny, right? Because we operate in this world where there are so many companies out there that are trying to make these human, real, like authentic human connections with people. And let's be fair. They're just like these toxic places 
that right. don't really create yeah. human connections, right? Do you and absolutely? Do you? I mean, obviously, you notice the difference, and I got a chill. Actually, you saw me doing this when you were telling that story. Yeah. No, but you know the difference. It's like walking into a party or even an offline event where like nobody really wants to be there. It's no fun at all, and everyone's just like, oh, I don't want to talk to you. And then you leave another event or a party, and you're like, that was awesome. It's so different. No? Yeah, 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 hundred percent. Like, and it was it was so unique because. It, it it was such a, a a thrill and an amazing feeling because it's like customers and or potential customers and people were telling were giving me this feedback and yeah. we recorded the testimonials and every single person from like a fifty five six, six like all ages were giving that and and it made me feel that that the bottom line of what humanity is no matter what technology the form that technology takes humanity is still a very raw primal um uh, the human condition is very raw is very primal and Completely. those things need to be solved and and then that's when i started to have very well one of the reasons why i left social media is because i always was really fed up like everything that you see today about social media how toxic it was like i saw that like like a long time ago. Yeah. And that was one of the reasons why I left because I saw how toxic that it started to be before the toxicity became mainstream. And that actually drove partially why I wanted to create more authentic conversations because I felt social media is not authentic. It's it's anything but. And I was trying to break, give it an alternative and break through that and going back to what I call, what I, going back to basics. What is the basics of humanity? And try to go back to that. What is it about Remo that does this? Do you know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, it's just technology where people gather. But what is it you think that makes it so authentic? I think so. So what's interesting about the platform is that, like, if you think about it, what we do is we just bring people together. Like, you can think of it as like the networking lounge at a conference. Sometimes, okay. So it's just a place, really right? You have some drinks, maybe you have some things here and there, you've got some nice couches, and then people just kind of come to it. And that context in that space then does not much. I mean, does some from a contextual standpoint, but then humans do what humans do best, right. which is they socialize. They just talk to each other. And I think what what's the difference, what Remo does is that number one is it allows movement. So you can go to anywhere you want. So there's that serendipity is involved. Yeah. And Everyone talks about machine learning and AI, blah, blah, blah. And we, I, I don't know if, I don't know if you see that, but I think we all have seen, in my opinion, when it comes to like Facebook and all that kind of stuff, the failure in machine learning. I think having machines tell you what you should do and what you need to do takes the joy out of life. Yeah. So like I, I've said this a lot, like when I took my first trip to Vietnam, and I think you'll see how this comes together. When I first took, when I took my first trip to Vietnam, we went to Hanoi, right? And we wanted to find this restaurant where they had soft shell crabs. And I think it was called the Piano Bar. And this was in 1991. It's a long time ago. And maybe we had like the Lonely Planet Guide to tell us like mm. maybe the street name. But it was just me and two of my buddies going, I wonder where this place is. And part of the joy in actually getting there was like, oh my God, we found it. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? That feeling of, there was yeah. no map. There was no Google Maps. There was none of that. We just were like, wait a second. That's it over there. And you had the yeah, greatest yeah. meal in the world because part of it wasn't even the food. It was just the getting there part of it. Yeah, yeah. The experience. Exactly. Yeah. The experience. Yeah. And 
and and it's the experience of the unknown. And I think the human condition, like I think the human condition is all about life being unpredictable and unknown. Like comedy is about something that's unexpected, yeah. right? And that's exactly. why we laugh. That's why we have joy, right? right? So if everything was predicted and everything was already like in a machine already laid out to you and you're seeing the same thing over and over again, that's not joy. That's boredom. Yeah, completely. That's not life. That's That's like, you know, it's just – it's nothingness. It's this feeling of like, oh my God, this is so excruciatingly boring, boring. And so I think movement and that serendipity is one part. And then the second part is that we have a custom floor plan, which people can, companies can customize. So we've got people creating like a koi pond next to this like tree house, or we had people like having like a campfire. Like it's just an experience. So like do you have saying. idea? Cause I was thinking about this, right? When you look at some other industries that have gone through what I'll call digital transformation for lack of a better term, or initially what they did was they just took the offline experience. I'll use insurance as an example. And they took a form and they turned it into a PDF and they said, fill out the form online. Right. right so right, it was right. neat, but it wasn't really transforming anything. It was just taking an offline experience and putting it online. Big deal. Right. 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 And I guess everything's going to start that way. But are there things you think you can do now or are there ideas you have? You're like, okay, we have this platform now. We've created this whole way where people can meet. They can also custom design. Like you said, put the koi pond in there. There's no way you could do that in real life. Like I want to have, yeah, a, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? But are there other things you think you yeah. can do that are going to make that experience so much more immersive that people maybe haven't thought of yet? Oh, but yeah. You and your team are going like, wait till we roll this thing out kind of thing. Yeah, at that time, yeah, for sure. I mean, even right now, I still have a little bunch of ideas still that I, I just can't wait to kind of like do. And and I think, so that's kind of like one of the core values of Remo, which was what we call this humanity at the center. And it's like humanity at the center really means is that don't use technology to solve a problem, but use technology to create a human experience as, as human as possible. And what does human mean? Like I'll give you an example. So we have different levels, so you, you could access one floor, you can access another floor. So how do you access those different floors? So we have an elevator button on the left-hand side of the screen. So you can click on the elevator button as if you're going up and down an elevator. Okay. And people immediately understand that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that to me is the definition of humanity at the center. And we do these types of small things throughout the entire product. And that's where we come to design. And what's funny is that those things are so small, but for some reason, it's those small things that people come up to us and, and tell us, wow, that is so cool. Like yeah. I can now relate this to my real life, but it has to be done in a very specific way. Like you can't do it for all things and you can't do it. Like I've seen people do some of these things in a, in a very untasteful way right. or in a way that just doesn't fit. There's some things that you can do that's very tasteful and that contributes to that experience. Yeah. Like for example, on one map, there was like a coffee machine. And it had like an N on it. And it was, we're trying to make it like an espresso, but not to get like copyright issues. I understand. But um, people were like digging that. They're like, oh my God, you got this coffee machine. And I, and I was like, it would be so cool if I could order coffee from there. It could be delivered to my house. And guess what? We're, we're like doing that stuff right now. Like we're now doing virtual food and virtual coffee stuff. So stuff like that. But this is the other thing that I always love talking about. Once you build that platform, now you can really do a bunch of other stuff with it that you didn't intend. And I have this conversation with some of my friends about my own business. They're like, you had all these ideas about how you were going to make money, how it was going to be a business. None of those things worked. Right? 
Yeah, 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 yeah. But now the other 100%. stuff is working that you didn't anticipate, right? So I don't think you sat around with your team at the beginning and said, we'll build Remo, it'll be a place where humans can interact and we'll sell coffee through it as well. Like, I don't think you thought about that. No, no way. No, no way. 100% no way. Right. Like, you're right. You're right. Like, what, what you thought at the beginning is never, almost never what you think at the end, unless it's a very established sure, 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 and you're super experienced, you know exactly like what the problems are, you know, like, and even then, like you may not be hundred percent correct. Yeah. This gets back to the cliff jumping thing that I was talking about. You've already jumped. So now right, if one of right, your teammates right, right. says, Hey, let's build the coffee thing. Instead of just going, that's ridiculous. You're like, why not? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And like, it's almost like you start to not be so judgmental. Yeah. You actually, you try to remove the judgment because you, at least for me, I've become very humble. I've been humbled by, I actually don't know a lot. I don't. Right. Right. I, but this, but this is the thing that most, again, that most people really. aren't willing to admit. It's like, and even as a CEO, you're supposed to have the answers to everything, right? It's like looking up at your dad when you're four years old. Hey dad, how, how does the universe work? And your dad's like, oh God, I really don't understand, but I have to say something. But once you figure yeah, out yeah, you yeah. don't have to have the answer, then you're free. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And I tell my, my you know, anyone who's starting a business or even my teammates all the time, like a lot of the times that the answer is not within yourself. Yeah. The answer is within the customer for most things. Some things the customer may not have. Like, for example, me creating the experience, like, innovating what the experience is. No one's going to ask for that. Right. But in terms of solving their problems, that's always, almost always within the customer. Like you cannot, you are not the right person to create the problem that the customer has. Yeah, exactly. That's not your job. Your job is to interview them and understand what their, what their problems are, not to create the problem for them. People come to me, they see what I do and they're like, Hey, could you do this? And I always say yes. And then figure out a way to do it. That's right. Yeah. Again, in a, in a weird way, it's just like you said. They say, hey, can you do X? And I'm like, absolutely. But in the conversations around helping them build that X, it may morph into Y. Right. Exactly. Or Z. Exactly. Exactly. But I never say no because, sorry, go ahead. And, and I'm so sorry to, to, to interrupt you on this. Oh. And like, I don't know if you like listen to um, some people when like they talk about um, like celebrities or whatever, where they get to work with different people on the project and they don't know where the project's going to be. It's like a very artistic thing. Yeah. And people say art is like in the context of like TV shows or entertainment or whatever, right? It, because it's art, it's more like, okay, malleable and blah, blah, blah. But people don't say that about business. But from my, my perspective, I think business is like exactly like art. Like, like I would go as far as saying like business is my way of expressing myself because in business, what are you doing? You're collaborating with someone similar. You don't know the answer all the time. And you're constantly, you know, there's a phrase, um, a good artist copies, a great artist steals. I mean, businesses are constantly doing that. They're constantly stealing from each other. Completely. And you're constantly like, putting together like an artist, taking this, taking this, taking this, taking this, putting it together and making it your own. I mean, that's literally the definition of, of what most entrepreneurs do. And here's the silly part is that people will tell you starting a business is like having a blank canvas and then they lose the art metaphor right there. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> it's so silly. Oh yeah, my God. Okay. 100%. Look, I feel like I could keep talking to you forever. <laughs> How can people get in touch with you if they want to? And then I'll just thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. Go ahead. 
Sure. Um, I'll put, I'll give you my LinkedIn. Yep. Um, so you, you can follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, I talk a lot about virtual events, authentic conversations on my LinkedIn as well. So yeah, you can follow me there. Ho Yin Chung, the founder and the CEO of Remo. I guess that's the right thing to say. Thank you so much for doing this, man. Yeah. This was awesome. Thank you, Michael. I had a great conversation. This is great. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. This episode of the Asia Tech Podcast was brought to you by IR, leaders in performance and experience management. In this hybrid working world, could your organization continue operating without collaboration tools or would productivity grind to a halt? Customer calls go unanswered. Frustrations rise. Download IR's ultimate guide to future-proofing your hybrid workplace and find the right strategies to help you find and fix problems fast, deliver great experiences, and ensure the lines of communication are always open. Visit ir.com slash asiatech.